Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington Jr. Today's episode is brought to you by WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. Today, Philip talks about financial pressures ahead of retirement. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, we are back with another episode of Wealth Building Made Simple, brought to you by WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us. Uh, I don't know what chapter I'm on, because I took off the chapter letters of the book that I'm writing, Investing in Innovation, through my newsletter. But I'm, 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 I'm beyond 10 chapters, uh, but it's getting really good. The cool part about writing a book in real time is like, uh, at least the way that I write a book, I don't, I don't really do... I do an outline, but I don't hold myself to follow an outline because I write and then I feel inspiration for what I need to write next. So I'm kind of, I got to the point to where I've gone off script of the outline because I needed to further elaborate on some ideas around decentralization. But it's coming off real good. Like it's, it is, uh, I know this may sound super, super egotistical to say, but like I'm going back and I'm rereading these articles because, uh, yeah, it's just some things that came out of me through inspiration and I was like, oh, right. That's that's how that works, right? Writing brings clarity. If you don't, if you like, if you just want to write for fun, I know I'm going off topic. Just write uh, because it gives you lots of clarity around the ideas that you think about, um, and it helps you become a better investor. So check it out: wealthbuildingmadesimple.us. Um, become a premium subscriber for twenty five dollars a month or two hundred bucks a year. For twenty five bucks, you can just reread everything in the archive for the book up to date. Uh, and if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe. Anyway, let's get to the topic for today. Uh, we are, uh, I don't have the, 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 the title for the topics yet, but these are just questions that I get from people who are feeling pressure around not having enough saved for retirement to date. And there's a lot of people that I meet that are, you know, t- typically they're like, it, it, I don't know if there's an age, but it's like when kids come, right? When kids come, people begin to say, all right, we got financial pressures now. We got to also save enough for college for kids. Then I got to save for my retirement or being financially independent. Oh, my parents, you know, may need my help too. And so there's just a lot of uh, pressure uh, that people are having around uh, having enough money to be financially independent. So these, these are some of the questions. We're going to go through as many as I can in 30 minutes, um, answering these questions that I get uh, around the topic. So the first main question that I get often is, have I saved enough money to sustain my uh, desired lifestyle in retirement? Or really, how do I know how much I need to save to reach that goal? And so the textbook answer is, right, most people are going to need roughly how much they live on today. A lot of people think they'll need less, but that's that that is not uh proved out in application, right? Meaning like very very few people that I meet go from living on 10,000 a month to 6,000 a month a day after they retire. 
you know, there's just the commute doesn't cost that much. You know, the work clothes <laughs> don't cost that much. If you ever had free time at home, you tend to see you spend more money, uh, not less, uh, in general. So um, I would I would use that number, and then figuring that out, figuring out how much you need to live on to replace that number, is just this. You can run it through a calculator and see, but just simple math. Twenty-five to thirty times uh, that annual number is what you'll need. So let's take a simple, easy number: a hundred thousand a year means you're going to need about two and a half, three million dollars in order to replace that level of income. So that's using like traditional math. Now, if I'm talking to a person that if they run the numbers and they see that that there's uh, because they're maybe starting later than what they wanted and they want to, they have a specific age that they that they are intent on retiring on right and then you can calculate and see that hey uh i gotta save like way more money than what i can save to reach that number which adds more pressure right so you end up pressure for the that you haven't saved enough pressure about the big number and then pressure because you run the calculator and it says you got to save half your paycheck to reach that goal and your time period, I'm giving an example, an exaggeration, but probably not because for most people that I've talked to, it's something in this range where you got to save some crazy amount of money, right? Then comes the despair. Oh, this is not going to happen for me. And you and people begin to downshift what they want. And so at that point, I would say now, if, if that's the case, just like blow up the traditional idea of how you plan to have enough retirement. Now, now it's time to like rethink what you're going to do because I'm a... The whole plan for retirement is income replacement and investing uh, and generating income from investment portfolio, right, is is one way, but also the easy, the easier way to get to the essence of what you want faster from, from our point of view is find a way to make income today that you love, right? If you find a way to make income today that you love, then you're like not really working already, right? And and that that relieves the pressure of time constraints, right? Because if you can do something you love, right, then 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 if you're 40 and you plan to retire at 60, well, the main reason you want to retire at 60 is because you hate doing what you do, right? So if you find a job that blurs the lines between, you know, Mondays and Saturdays, right? Meaning like you just love it, like you don't look forward to the weekend because you you love what you do. You you've you've built it around your lifestyle, so you can do it around a lifestyle that you enjoy, um, right? That just eliminates that goes from being you know a twenty year time frame to like when you plan to die, right? Uh, not saying that you have to work till you die, but it just removes that resistance, right? And removing resistance is everything for increasing your genius. So you remove that resistance, right? And then the second thing is once you remove that uh, resistance, you you expand your investment time frame, right? And when you expand your investment time frame, you become more open to uh, perceived risk, meaning meaning a lot of people, when they want to invest from, you know, when they feel like they have a limited time frame to invest, they want to do more proven investments, right? They want to invest in the investments that worked well for others in their generation that they're looking at or people in a previous generation that invested in the work. So I use the example of uh, people today living right now. They look at the returns of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, and they go, oh man. So uh, I look at the returns and 
if I do that for the next 20 years, uh, I can get those returns for the next 20 years. Nah, because that's already past, right? Past performance doesn't equal future performance, right? That that already happened, right? They'll still probably have above average returns from the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 is mostly previous generation businesses, right? If I call those businesses the uh, businesses of the Gen X, right? Most of the S&P 500 is like businesses of the boomers, right? So like the FANGs will probably do better than the S&P, right? But it's, the returns are going to be different, right? Uh, so so if you, if you broaden your time frame, then you're able to uh, invest more in the future generation businesses, which are going to be the crypto, the artificial intelligence, uh, the genomics, right? The, the new forms of media, right? These are going to be businesses that when we're 20 years from now, people are going to go, oh, oh, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin miners, right? All these businesses did what the Fangs did for the last 20 years, and you'd have been like, yeah, I bought them, right? You'll like the people that owned Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Fang a decade ago and made a lot of money, which, which in essence will end up having you hit your two and a half, three million dollar goal earlier in that time frame, but you didn't have the pressure of the time frame, if that makes any sense. So because you elude, remove the pressure of the time frame, you actually were able to be comfortable investing in assets that will actually allow you to hit the goal in time frame, right? It's, it's super weird how that works, right? But when you relieve the mental pressure, right, you open your mind to the investments that actually will help you do what you want to do in the first place. So that's a, a iteration of how I respond to that that uh, uh, that answer, right? And and a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, right? The benefit of investing in future generation businesses is then you say you don't have to save half your paycheck to reach that goal, right? You save a lot less because the returns are uh, potentially significantly more. So second question, is time running out for me to accumulate a significant nest egg for retirement, right? I kind of answered that question in the first one. So no, just remove the time constraints. I gave a couple of different options. Three, how will market volatility impact my investments and potentially erode my investments? Oh, this actually, this is how things work, right? So I actually just wrote about that today market volatility, uh, and it actually gave me a really good, better answer what I plan to uh, answer this question that when I wrote the questions two days ago. So um, market volatility is just a uh, result of when power concentrates into, uh, has a high concentration in one area. When I say When I say power, we're talking about money. So let's transfer to the money. So when money gets concentrated in in one area, which that looks like inflation, right? So so meaning like hu- humans have a herd mentality. And so humans tend to pile into assets that perform the best in the past because they perform the best in the past with without any consideration of like future expectation uh, or, or future evolution of 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 desires for those companies, meaning they don't factor in the future generation. So you take a company like you take a, a a company. I want to think of a company that just kind of like imploded. Uh, that was like a old school style company. Um, 
I'll just use Japan, right? In 1989, uh, f- for a decade or two before that, um, the world piled in Japanese stocks, and because Japan was going to take over America, is what the what the perception was at that point in time. They're going to be the America of the future, and so like the valuations of Japanese stocks got crazy, uh, and I mean they got like crazy, crazy, like super crazy. In 1989, the bubble popped, and the Japanese stock market has still yet to date be at that high level. So that high valuation was inflation um, of the prices. And by the way, like the inflation on the real estate still hasn't really come down much. It's come down a little bit, but not much because Tokyo is extremely expensive to live in. Um, but but that's an example of uh, you know market volatility. There's, there, there was there has been a lot of volatility uh, in that market for decades uh, leading up and after that because volatility is just like the flow of energy moving from areas of high concentration to areas of low concentration, right? So right now you have in uh, the in the underlying because late late in the cycle, right? Late in the cycle. The most of the money that piles into uh, a economy, an asset, a marketplace is debt, right? At first, there's just venture capital, which is mostly equity, right? And then equity makes money, and then it gets the attention of everybody, and then people put their own people invest in the equities, and then once I call it like once you're in the period of time that's in the late stage of the uh, asset life cycle, then it gets then it, because the returns are not as high. You have a lot of people invest with debt because debt juices up the returns, right? And and so then the rest of the the, the debt that leads up to the bust is just the uh, or the money that leads up to the bust is mostly debt. And so when you have a lot of debt behind an asset, you have a lot of inflation. Which inflation, think of just like fake money, monopoly money, right? And so when you have a lot of monopoly money in assets, uh, it becomes very sensitive to interest rates. Right, because the small fluctuation in interest rates, which is the debt that's in there, um, is going to affect the volatility of the system. And so, you get volatility when there's way too much money in in something in an asset that everybody thinks is safe. Right, everybody thinks it's a sure bet, and that's where we are right now. Like everybody thinks that um, the current financial system is a safe bet, and you have money moving to new financial systems, and they're, you know, they're more volatile than the old system. But the reason that they're the reason that they're more volatile is, is not really debt. It's just because because they're new, they're subject to the interest rates of the old system because the old system is still in charge, right? It it might be applicable to like a household where you have parents and you have children, right? The children are the future generation, but the parents' emotional set point is the is going to dictate like the energy of the household. And so even though the kids are the future and they have a longer lifespan, right? And as they mature, right, they, they, uh, yeah, they have a longer lifespan um, because the parents are the dominant energy of the house. The parents' mood is going to affect the mood of the kids, right? Until they separate from the house. So I'm saying the same thing I'm saying right now, whatever the federal reserve does, right? Which is the bloated, inflated, debt-ridden global financial system. Is going to affect all assets, right? And that's just that's just part of where we are in the stage of 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 where we are. But I would I would not um, discount the future generation because it's highly volatile. 
because the only reason why it's volatile is because of the emotional mood of the or the volatility or all the debt, right? The you know uh, uh, in the current system. So volatility is actually a good thing from an investment standpoint because volatility scares away most money. And so if you want to make returns, like you want to invest in the right things for the next generation when it's highly volatile because as the as more money moves in the volatility goes down but the price goes way up historically so let's go to the next one will rising healthcare expenses strain my retirement funds uh yes uh yes like yes and yes so healthcare is one of the last things to be infected in a good way by technology, right? It's coming, right? It's, it's, it's here, but technology or innovation or productivity brings down the cost of everything, right? So I just talked about bloated systems, right? Inflation, right? Healthcare is one of those bloated systems where it's way too expensive because of all kinds of crap in it. But the big thing is just like a productivity. Like whenever you don't use money properly, efficiently, you get bloated inflation, um, and so healthcare is, is is one of those ones where, I mean, like I mean, you see it. Uh, I might go to my doctor, and they might send me to a specialist, and I'm getting the same test done by both of them, and I'm getting billed for it by my insurance. Uh, when when we have the technology today, to where we can just put all the data on the blockchain, right, and just give them access to it, and that saves time, right? It like it. It goes it goes against the current system because the current system makes money off of double billing, right? But the technology is here. So, and once the technology is here, then it becomes just a matter of time. Think of, I like think of technology like gravity, right? Gravity, gravity is going to have its way, right? You cannot defy gravity. It's going to eventually win. It's just a matter of time, right? And so, if you say, all right, here's the Here's the problem with healthcare. It's way too expensive for everybody, right? And then you say, and then you and then you look at the technology and you go, "Oh, here's where the bloat is," right? Cuz cuz one aspect is the well, I think the majority of aspect is the flow of information, like the like the the information in the system is uh and lack of transparency allows for double billing, overbilling, right? All the kinds of the compensate for the lack of transparency and the flow of information. So once that's cleared up with technology, which it's here, right, um, then it lowers the cost. And so as an investor, and I know I'm going off topic, but I'm going to answer the question. As an investor, you understand that, and then you just place your assets where gravity's going to take everything, and then you're going to attract all the money, right? So so one way you can pay for the healthcare expenses in retirement is to understand, right, the problem and place your assets and solution. But healthcare is going to be a big problem for retirees until that technology uh, moves into the system because it's it's getting it's getting uh, pretty stupid. So from a, I, w- I would plan for it, um, uh, and I would factor it into the amount of money you need to uh, save for retirement and make it significant. But then I would invest in the future technologies, and then then you won't have a problem, right? Even if the system doesn't get fixed, you won't have a problem <laughs> because you're going to have more than enough money to take care of it. Number six, how will care... Oh, oh wait, number five. Thanks, Steve. Number five, 
Can I rely on my pension or Social Security benefits to meet the financial needs in retirement? That's a great question. So, so the, the, the majority of companies, if not all the companies that have a pension plan are companies that were from the boomer generation uh, economy. Uh, and I just mentioned a couple of uh, questions back that those companies are in trouble because those companies only really make money because they got a bunch of debt, right? You can go look at them. Go find all the companies that have a pension plan, look on their balance sheet, and their debt is stupid, right? Stupid. Um, same with the government. Government that has pensions is stupid. And so a pension plan is just a – think of a, a – it's like interest payments, right? It's a financial obligation. That's what a pension is. They promised – certain financial payouts to people that work for them as part of the compensation. It's a deferred payout, but it's a payout. So then you just treat it like you would treat any creditor. You go, uh, let me look at your balance sheet. Let me look at your credit. Let me assess your credit rating and let me uh, assess uh, how probable it is for me to get my payments back. Now, one of the things about Social Security and the uh, and the boomer generation system is like the boomer is a big voting generation. And so it's less likely that the companies are going to default. Uh, I mean, cause like in 08, they save a bunch of boomer companies' pension plans uh, when when the companies are going to go bankrupt. So, um, so it's not likely that they're going to uh, uh, let them fail in dollar terms. But what happens is they'll say, "All right, we'll save, we'll print money to save the pension plans." Right, so they keep they keep their paycheck, but what happens is like the, the the value of the money is worth less, you know. So so it's not really a default per se, but it has the same net effect on wealth, meaning like wealth is just value above inflation, right? And so whenever they print money to say the pension plan, social security, that's going to like destroy wealth, which means like it does the same thing as if the if the pension fan, funds went default. It's just easier from a political standpoint to do. And so I would say um, if you have a pension plan or, or social security benefit, like like count on count on it, count on some of it, right? But I would really, really, really have a big source of your income coming from places that are uh, growing at a rate above inflation, right? Because that's gonna help you from the, you know, as this as the, you know, what do you call it? As the stuff hits the fan. Right, and all this debt comes due, and they gotta do what they gotta do whatever they gotta do to build it out. Like you'll have something on your balance sheet to make up for the lost purchasing power from them needing to save out, save Social Security or pension plans. Um, number six: How will carrying debt into retirement affect my uh, financial security? Debt is neutral, right? Debt is neutral. I, I I've seen plans where like, especially like real estate owners or or business people that um, that had manageable debt, where they just um, uh, they didn't have they were not over debted. It, uh, it's not a problem if you have a lot of consumer debt. If it's if it's a lot, if it's investment debt and it's manageable with cash flow, um, it's not a problem. If it's consumer debt, it's probably going to be a problem. Um, in retirement because investment debt is helping to generate cash flow. Consumer debt is taking cash flow. And so I would do everything you can to get rid of your consumer debt before retirement. Um, and if you have investment debt, just make sure that uh, uh, just make sure that your investment debt 
doesn't get out of control, meaning you're not investing debt into old dying ideas um, from a, from a, from an investment standpoint. And that could be real estate because there's a lot of uh, rental property real estate owners that use that that are doing single family or even multifamily real estate. Um, and those cap those the, the income you get from those are going down over time, and they're they were using debt to keep that you know keep their income coming in. Well, now with rates where they are, that like that's that squeezes them even more. And property taxes, if you live in Texas, where now they got to rethink how they do it. Right? The easy answer is like like if I were one of them, I would do like Monopoly, turn in all my houses and go into multifamily Airbnbs. Right? But that but that's one of the ones where you got to because right multifamily Airbnbs. Even Dallas that passed the Airbnb ban, it's not for multifamily Airbnbs, right? That's a like I don't I also think Airbnbs are going to come back in unique areas, but I'm just saying you you got to navigate the market and be up to date and go oh okay multifamily Airbnbs are a way to uh, generate income higher income in a trend that's in harmony with where the world is going, right? That's just an example of. Uh, of what I mean by using debt responsibly, because right, if if you're a multifamily market, and I'm using it as an example, like mostly cash is going to be the way you do it safely moving forward, which lowers your returns, right? But if you're going to use debt, then juice, then doing it in the Airbnb market will probably be the advanced upgraded version of that that will um, help you do it with higher interest rates um, where they are now. All right, we got time for a couple more. How can I prepare for unexpected expenses that may impact my ability to save for retirement? Um, prepare. Best way is like an emergency fund because um, unexpected expenses mean it's really tough to to prepare. So I would just always keep, you know, a good amount of cash. Right, that's subjective to to everything you have on your balance sheet. But I would just uh, you know, be wise about it. You got the age old rule of three months of expenses, six months of expenses, right? Whatever that number you feel comfortable with, right? Have some, have some extra uh, money. Um, but if you're, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that the question that 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 I was writing this down for that I'd gotten was, uh, if you're saving for retirement and you don't have the emergency fund, should you stop the emergency fund? Or stop saving for retirement to build the emergency fund, and that's where I'm going. You you gotta the, the, the simple answer is just do both, right? But you gotta go what makes you feel the best because I'm I'm a big believer in like financial progress is all about your balance of like um, the facts with how you feel, right? And so if if you feel stressed about not having an emergency fund, then just do everything you can to have an emergency fund. But if you don't feel stressed, just do both at the same time, right? Because when you don't feel stressed. Your mind's open to ideas that's going to help advance your plan faster. Uh, but when you're stressed, you don't hear any ideas that are going to help advance your plan faster. So do the least stressful thing. What if I experience job loss or a career setback that impedes my ability to save and catch up on retirement uh, goals? That's hopefully where the emergency fund uh, comes in uh, to help. Um, but that's why I was thinking, that's why I'm a big believer in the first question is find something you love to do. Uh, today, because that reduces that risk. Have an emergency fund, and even if you work for somebody, like find a job that you just love. I'm not because it don't mean that you got to have your own business. Find something you love, because like you'll never 
the person who loves what they do is good at what they do. And if you're good at what you do, you're never going to have a lack of opportunities to be employed. So, so do that. Uh, well, I need to make a significant lifestyle adjustment or downsize in retirement due to lack of sufficient funds. If you get to retirement and you don't have enough money saved up, then yeah, right? Then you want to just really work. Because by the way, it's since wealth is subjective, right? <clears throat> and, if, and, if, and if you say, hey, I'm here, I got here, I just don't have enough money, and I don't want to do anything else, cool. That means now you have to just learn to like appreciate life at a, low, at a, at a level with less physical resources, right? Meaning like it's possible to just to to still be happy and not you know li- you can be happy at a six thousand dollar a month lifestyle when you used to when you used to a ten thousand dollar a month lifestyle. Like cause happiness is you can own it at any point in time. So that's that's that is easy to do, right? I think that would be the first step is just to first become happy with your situation. And then from your point of happiness and not scarcity, right? Then kind of allow things to play out. Cause when cause when a lot of people who are having to downsize their lifestyle, if they're like doing it out of scarcity, um, and I tell them, hey, you can like live in a different place and make your money go uh further, they're not gonna hear that, right? You won't hear any good solutions that's gonna make your money go longer uh if if you're in scarcity. But it and or a good idea would be to maybe just work a little bit longer at a part time job that you love. Right, but there's all kinds of ideas that you can do if you don't have enough money saved up to where as 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 long as you're uh, have that lack thinking, right? You 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 feel lack, you don't feel happy what you have, you're yearning for more. That's lack. Uh, then your next steps are gonna like just feel painful, right? There's nothing that's gonna soothe the pain you feel from not having enough until you soothe it emotionally, right? And so I would do that first, and then like either just that might just be it. You might just get there and be comfortable, right? Or there may be other ideas that you're open to that can help your money go longer. So hope this helps until a couple of weeks from now on Wednesday. Y'all, y'all enjoy. Enjoy your weeks. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.